Welcome back to Nighttime Live. You're on the Mighty 790 KFGO and KFGO.com. You know, over in the many, oh, what was it, 11 years now it's been, one of my favorite television shows has been Modern Family. Uh, and uh, this show has made me laugh, made me cry. I've seen their kids grow up. It's been an absolute blast. But, of course, earlier this year, uh, just a little while ago, they ended their season, their 11th season. And joining us right now is Mark Freeman. Mark Freeman is uh, the gentleman who got, uh, I'm going to say, almost into the back door. He's a freelance writer and does some stuff for Vanity Fair and Hollywood Reporter and Slate. And he put a book out. Uh, the definitive book on Modern Family, the uh, untold oral history of one of television's groundbreaking sitcoms. Mark Freeman, thank you so much for joining us tonight here on KFGO. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So is there any reason why you're the only one so far? Uh, writing about it? Yeah. Or, um, well, basically, if you do an oral history, which is what this is, um, whoever whoever comes first gets the full meal. <laughs> so, so, you know, I had access. The entire cast participated, the creators of the show, the writers, the directors, the production crew, because they rarely get to share their stories because everyone's so starstruck, uh, guest stars and all that. And, and like I said, it's like what what is the point of doing a second oral history with a different author when they're just going to end up with the exact same information, you know? So everybody was pretty much on board for this then, right? Yeah, I I didn't know. I've done article oral histories, and because there's word counts, you kind of have to cap it at a certain number of people because otherwise you'll exceed by a lot um, your word count. And on this one, because it was a book, I thought I'll follow and see where it goes in terms of number of, of people. Well, people would mention people who would mention people, and so I ended up with more than 100 voices contributing this story, which, although a lot of work, gives you the complete 360-degree view of the world of modern family. I was going to say, it must be uh, kind of uh, tough, or I should say not tough, but painstaking, well, I guess it's the same thing, to cut all these pieces together after talking to each one of these individuals. So there's like two elements to it. The frustrating part is the transcription. I did hundreds of interviews and hundreds of hours, and I go really slow purposefully because I don't want to misquote anybody. And even if you get a word wrong, you can that can change the entire meaning of what they say. So there's checking and rechecking. The, the fun part and challenging part kind of goes to what you were just mentioning, which is you get all these quotes from all these people, and as you're going farther into it, you're having them all talk about the same thing or you return to them. But then it becomes a puzzle. And if you're doing a chapter on a particular episode, for example, you're going to compile all the quotes about that, lay them out in front of you like your little puzzle, put it together. And if you're successful, it feels like a roundtable discussion where people are bouncing off of what the other one says. And it gives it a very familial, pleasant aspect as opposed to random voices shouting things out. When I was reading the book, and I haven't finished it, forgive me, but I will finish it because it really is fascinating. When I was reading the book, you know, Christopher Lloyd, you know, everybody knows him as this crazy, wacky Reverend Jim from Taxi and, and the, the far-out professor from, uh, from, from the uh, Back to the Future movies. Uh, he seems like such a great down-to-earth guy and really knows his comedy and his, and his well, he knows what he's doing. So, so here's the funny thing. Uh, and and you are by far not the first one to do it because Chris brings it up himself. There are two Chris Lloyds in the world. There is 
Christopher Lloyd, the actor, who I, I did get to interview for, I did an oral history on Taxi, and he's he's fantastic guy. And then there's Chris Lloyd, who is the son of TV sitcom writing legend David Lloyd, and who was the showrunner on Frasier and had written for Golden Girls and Wings. And he's the one who co-created this. And the reason I bring this up and I say you're not alone is he says so many times people at a restaurant or something, they hear the name Chris Lloyd and they're looking around for Back to the Future guy. (laughs) And even Sarah Hyland said that the day she auditioned for the producers, Chris wasn't there, and she was really bummed because she wanted to meet Back to the Future guy, and, and then found out afterwards it was a different Chris Lloyd. The uh, Tell us a little bit, you know, because we see the name at the end, too. Is it is it Levitan? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Steve Levitan. Uh, tell us about this guy, because we know Christopher Lloyd, but he is the co-creator of, uh, of the show Modern Family. What kind of a gentleman is he? Well, he... Um, He's a very he's very inviting. They, they have very different personalities, and the book goes into the fact that the two of them had a falling out and kind of produced two different series. But Steve's personality is is very loose, um, accessible. He had no problem letting me trail around, going into the writers' room, sitting at the table with the writers, watching the at the table when they were doing a rewrite as well, which can kind of be invasive, um, being there on set while he was directing or coming up with ideas. And he just said, yeah, you know, look, look at whatever you want to do, do whatever you want to do. And he would talk to me. We had a couple long conversations, and then we had these short conversations at lunchtime where he'd be running around, or we'd have these conversations on set. And I would definitely say his personality and Chris are very different, so I could see why they wouldn't necessarily be of the same ilk uh, or the the same genre. But, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that they would uh, have a big falling out such as they did. What I really, too, love about this book in the oral history is the description and the conversation that goes on about picking uh, the people who uh, finally, you know, became the, 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 the main characters and uh, one was uh, that I thought was really neat was uh, the, both Ty uh, uh, Bolin and also uh, I, I mean I'm getting my names mixed up now, but Phil and Phil and Claire. Okay, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'm horrible with names. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, you know they went through what what two almost three hundred people for uh, Claire's part alone. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting, and one of the things I tried to do in the book was make it bigger than one show so that fans could get a lot out of it, but if you don't know how television is done, you could get a lot out of it. And so the casting chapters, in a sense, you get to see the range of different actors who test for it, and then you also get to see how crazy the process is, because when, if you see it on in a movie, you, you go up in front of the director and you read a line and he says, I'm going to make you a star, but... The way that it goes in television, as an example, is you audition for the casting director, and if the casting director likes you, they'll bring you to the producers, and if the producers like you, they'll bring you to the studio, and if the studio likes you, you get to go to the network, and even if you go to the network, they have several options with with them, usually two to three, sometimes as many as five. And that's when the gambling comes in because the people you're bringing, you really want one of them, but you don't want to tell the people that you want that one. But you're thinking if they all audition, they'll get it and they'll realize that's the one. So you're kind of banking on the fact that 
along the process, everyone will agree with how you see it. And, you know, with Julie, she was pregnant, and that kind of had her out of the running from the beginning until they met her and brought her in, and they kept saying, gosh, you know, it's too bad she's pregnant because we don't want the mother to be pregnant in the series. Uh, she already has three kids, and the youngest one being 10, so really a fourth kid would be an accident. Um, it's too bad, it's too bad. And then they eventually started to evolve to, she does such a great audition, what if we could work around that pregnancy in the pilot and, and cover it up with camera angles and uh, props, wouldn't wouldn't that be good? Because, you know, one episode to trade in for however many years the show is going to run, wouldn't that be worth it? And that's ultimately what they chose to do. And obviously it worked out. You know, I, I when I first saw this, this, the, this television show for the first time many years ago, I almost had, when it came to the, to, to the female leads, both Julie and also uh, Miss uh, Vergara, uh, that, uh, you know, this is almost a Gilligan's Island type deal. You've got one beautiful woman who is really uh, classy, and, and then you've got Julie who is kind of that tomboyish girl next door who, you know, never really dresses up unless she's going out to something really elegant or not. And, you know, a lot of the guys were drawn to her instead of, uh, instead of uh, uh, Gloria, you know what I mean? Well, you know, there's an aspect to the to the character of I don't want to say she's an every mom, but but you know, she's a more stereotypical mom of what people would be used to seeing and she's and you know, she's a younger woman and and a very attractive woman, um a very different presentation than you get with this vivacious larger than life Gloria character, similar to what you're coming up with with Ginger from Gilligan's Island versus uh God, what was Don Wells? What was her uh, Marianne. Marianne, yeah. I mean, so there is a, definitely a similar contrast, um, much as that show had. And, and she did purposefully um, dress down, if you call it that, um, the clothes that uh, Claire wore, a, a lot of like shirts on shirts, um, and very, not frumpy, but uh, very... I don't even know if I'll call it bland. <laughs> a lot of plaid, maybe. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Gloria's always wearing dresses. And one of the things about her character is some people were saying, well, you're doing a, a stereotype of, of Latin American women. And she and Sophia said, no, this is this is the women. She was from Colombia as well. And she said, these are the women I grew up with. This is the family I grew up with. This is my mother and my grandmother. They're big, vivacious, loud personalities who talk loud, who live loud, and are very protective of their family. And so it, it is not a stereotype. It's real. And, you know, it, it is real. So some people who would push that way, she'd push right back and, and you know, everyone agrees with her ultimately in the end. You know, there are so many characters to go through, by the way, with Ed O'Neill, of course, from Married with Children, absolutely superb. But the the the, the Cam and Mitchell, I bet that was kind of an interesting uh, combination to put together. Did that take a while, too? It, it did. The, so in the original iteration of it, um, they kind of had swapped characters where, where Cam was more or less what Jesse Tyler became and, and Mitchell was more or less what Eric became. But they they cast Jesse pretty fast as Mitchell. He was probably the first one cast and the shortest amount of time. Um, to find a match for him became a struggle and because you need chemistry. And, and one of the things that the creators worried about up until shooting the pilot was do the characters in the relationships have chemistry? And a common thing in TV is 
you hire all these actors, you get to the rehearsals, and you realize a couple don't have chemistry, and you, you, nix, you nix one. And so the actors, when they were recalling it to me, they would always say at the um, table reads and early in the pilot, but they might replace me. And, and it was funny because they didn't know the other one was saying that, but they all actors have that nervousness because they've gone through the process of being replaced when they had a part. Um, and so uh, in, in this instance, they were trying to find somebody to match with Jesse. And Eric really, really worked hard. And, and his story is very – it's endearing and it's, it's inspirational because he – the longest he had ever been on t- television in a role before was eight days. He was, a, he was a commercial guy, and he made a good living with commercials, but he wanted to take the next step. And he had to be his own advocate in a lot of ways and continue, continue to force and push. And he was lucky in that the pilot director knew him from Chicago from improv comedy. And so he did have somebody in his corner um, as the process continued. And ultimately, when he had this epiphany that some of the dialogue sounded, uh, Cam's dialogue sounded like his mother, he just transformed into his mother in the audition and took it to such a different place that they felt he could do it. And then when he read with Jesse, they had such chemistry, at least leading into the pilot, they thought this could work. And obviously it did. Modern Family, the untold oral history of one of television's groundbreaking uh, breaking sitcoms. It's just hitting the shelves. Mark Freeman is our special guest here on KFGO. We just have a couple more minutes uh, before we have to, to turn Mark loose. But I wanted to ask you a little, a little bit, too, about the fact that uh, there was really some interesting stuff, especially from Julie, uh, or known as Claire, as far as uh, some of these actors had a real difficult situation just simply talking right into the camera where they're supposedly just talking to the home audience. And I well, found that interesting. Well, you know, there, there's like two levels of it. The, the, if you're doing interviews, you're sitting on the couch and you're facing the camera. That's not – actors for television aren't really trained. They're always supposed to ignore the camera. So there's that aspect of it, um, which and, – and for Julie, there were certain times where she was alone on the couch. And this could go for any of them, although typically there was two of them. But if you're alone on the couch, then it's even more lonely because it's just you staring at a camera. And the cameramen in this show, using that mockumentary style, they were in a lot of ways another character in the show. So what would happen over time is the actor would get very used to the cameraman or camerawoman, and that would make it – that would help break the wall a little. But even with one of the things this show does, and and The Office did it too in Parks and Rec, when you break that fourth wall in the middle of a scene and the character looks up at the camera, um, even that, you don't want to over-abuse that, um, but you also want to have be in some simpatico with the cameraman to know when I'm looking up that the camera's going to find me looking up and I'm not going to do it in such a blatant way that it's going to kill the scene. But it will, if it happens correctly it's like you're looking at the audience saying do you see this do you see what's going on here or <laughs> i don't uh, i don't think i've ever seen a tv show that had such great care uh, uh chemistry between all of the characters. It's just a wonderful show, a wonderfully written show, and uh, I bet it was, you know, after 11 years, I mean, it's sad to say goodbye to anything. I imagine the cast members were just, uh, were just, you know, almost crying, I suppose, when they were leaving, huh? It, it was very emotional. I was fortunate enough to be 
pretty much the only outside person, although I felt inside by that time, but I was the only outside slash inside person on set. And I, I kept my distance because I kind of figured this is their moment. In fact, I wasn't even sure I wanted to come on set because I didn't want to in, be invasive of that moment. And there was a lot of conflict uh, for them because you end up in these shows being with, with the cast and crew more than with your family. And then you add 11 years to that and that's even huger, a huge amount of time. And so the conflict was they weren't going to be seeing their family every day. They can, they, they see each other and they text and they stay in touch and they are friends with each other, but they weren't going to see each other every day. Yet at the same time, they, they were ready for their next challenge. Uh, no one wants to be, pigeonholed or stereotyped as one character their entire life. And when I say nobody, I mean no actor. Act actors are always looking for the next challenge, looking to stretch, looking to define, and looking to test and try. And, you know, at a certain point, you could, you could do these roles forever, and God knows the writers came up with amazing plots and the actors always delivered, but maybe you are ready to look. And so I think there was some conflict there that people were looking at what they were doing next, but they weren't throwing it out in front of everybody and saying, boy, I'm so happy to be getting out of here. It's more just like I'm graduating from college and I know I'm going to be moving out of the house, mm. you know, and it's going to be a hard move to make, but I'm ready to move and I need to get my own apartment now. There never was a cast change in only the 11 years that I can recall. Was there any? The only cast changes would have been with baby Lily. Um, who, when they made Baby Lily uh, more than a sack of potatoes and they actually let her have a voice and talk, uh, she, she, they changed actors. Oh, they did? Um, okay. Well, they fooled me on that. And, and, well, and, and the thing about it is, um, and you'll eventually read about it, there's a whole chapter on it that the, the babies, prior to the, the Lily that everybody knows, they hated being on set. I mean, screamed and cried like they were being tortured in a sense <laughs> anytime they entered the building stage five. And people, in some ways, it was sickly, darkly funny because they would be happy outside of stage five, open the door, take one step in, and they'd smell. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so they were miserable. And it was hard for the actors, for Jesse um, and for Eric, because it's no longer I'm acting. It's I'm trying to get my lines in in between the kid crying or having some kind of hysterics. And so it was difficult. Um, so they made that switch. And then with Joe, uh, the same thing. The first year or two, Joe was a baby, and then they did that time jump where they made Joe a talking little, a little, little kid, and uh, they switched actors as well for that just because they made the time jump and the kid wasn't old enough. Modern Family, the untold oral history of one of television's groundbreaking sitcoms. Mark Freeman is our special guest tonight here on KFGO. We have to wrap things up, Mark, but I do want to mention to the folks that there are some script samples in here. There are also uh, talks with not only uh, Christopher Lloyd, but with the directors and producers. I mean, you've got it all in here, and it's uh, the oral history thing is a great, it's a great way of presenting us. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun, fun book, and I hope everybody goes out and picks it up. Where, we, where can we find out more about you and uh, your work so mark well um i have uh i do that crazy nutty social media stuff uh you can <laughs> you can go online you could probably write my name and say mark freeman oral history and a bunch of articles will pop up because i've done oral histories on mash bob newhart show taxi cheers um i did a little piece on on seinfeld i did veronica mars 
I, I like doing and Frasier for Vanity Fair, which is what led me to Modern Family. I like to do. It's not that I'm doing um, classic shows just to do classic shows. They're shows that meant something to me that I'm a fan of and that I want to share the process of making it as told by the people who made it, as opposed to being the interpretive writer who said, you know, the director had thought this and this. It's like, why not ask the director what they thought? Why, why guess and put words in somebody's mouth? Um, let them use their memories and their impressions, and that's what I think resonates most with readers. You feel like you're listening to the story of a history of something they like as told by those people, and that is a closer, more personal connection in a lot of ways um, in, in the presentation of these stories. By the way, Mark, I'm old enough. I've got to go and find your Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour uh, book, okay? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what's interesting about that one, too, is uh, so that show, when I wrote about it, it was celebrating its 50th anniversary, and it had an uncanny uh, amount of people who were still alive from the show, so, which is what made it very useful. Um, not useful, but it made it very convenient, maybe that's the right word, to write about because it wasn't going to be two survivors who are 90 years old and have shattered memories. It was a lot of people who were still alive. They, they ate their Wheaties on set. And uh, so I was able to get a lot into that. And I had written about it specifically because it was about political satire, which is such a fascinating topic these days. I kind of wanted to look at the origin of, of it on television, and this was one of the earliest examples of it. So, it, yeah, it was a lot of fun to write. And Mark Freeman, thank you so much for joining us. And by the way, folks, when you look that up on uh, the Internet, that's Mark with a C, by the way. I want to make thank sure you. that folks know about that as well. <laughs> thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. Great talking to you, and uh, it's a fun, fun book. I hope everybody picks it up. Well, thank you for having me, and it was great talking to you too.